0: morning. I did, I uh, think, not very long about trying to emulate Rob from last week and preach in shorts. Um, but I was terrified that people would faint at the to of my varicose veins and, uh, you know, certain things you don't kind of put on stage when you get to a certain stage in life, you know. And also, I'm conscious that if I don't wear a jacket, some people will be very disappointed on uh, average. Not many. I know of two, anyway. Um, But, yeah. Uh, Besides anything else, what it illustrates is it doesn't actually matter very much. Um, I asked Betty, you know, does this look okay? She said, yeah. She said, when have you cared anyway? Uh, To which I responded, I I always try to to keep up with fashion. Um, Usually about 10 years behind, but I try to keep up 10 years behind with fashion, so that's all right. I want to share this morning... Pastorally, because the the passage of scripture I've been given, which is in John's Gospel, as you'll be aware, um, and follows on from last week. Yeah, I'm going to share the events of it, but somewhere in it all, you've got to kind of choose something to talk about. And and the first thing I want you to understand is as we read this, this follows straight on from what we heard last week. This follows straight on from Jesus washing the disciples' feet and calling them to, to servanthood. In fact, Rightly, we have to divide this up so we can preach on it, but it wouldn't be a bad idea to kind of go back to sort of roughly uh, John 12 and, and read right through uh, to the, the whole discourse as Jesus prepares the disciples for his for his departure, because it all belongs together. It's all set in this kind of end <coughs> bit. In fact, the passage we read last week and this week are all set around the Last Supper, and you can read the other versions of the Last Supper in in the other gospels. Uh, You get a a full picture of what's going on. And if we're not careful, we preach a sermon and we forget the context of the previous one. Uh, We we can't chop it up that way quite like that. But this morning I'm going to be unashamedly selective. I'm going to tell you what the passage says and then pick one little part of it and elaborate. Uh, Largely because I've been asked to say something, you know. Let me read. John chapter 13, verse 18. This is, uh, as I said, immediately after the the feet washing and uh, servanthood and how the disciples will be blessed uh, if they do what Jesus uh, is recommending. He says, I'm not referring to all of you. This is uh, John 13, verse 18. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send, accepts me, and whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another. <coughs> at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought he was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. This is the last week of Jesus' earthly life. He knows it. His disciples don't, not really, much as he's been telling them for a long time. Uh, Hard hard for them to grasp. He's about to teach them in preparation for his going, and he's about to pray to the Father for them. And he's just modeled this servant-heart business of of foot washing, calling them to be humble servants, And although all have had their feet washed, including Judas, and all are sharing with him in this last meal, including Judas, one of these disciples won't be there to serve when Jesus is gone. The room is filled with electrifying tension. Really. Uh, Unless we understand the of this. The disciples, I'm sure, sense that this is a a significant time, but but they're not quite sure why. They just know something's happening here. So let's let's just look at the events as they happened, first of all. Just get them in order, and then I'll be quite selective. Jesus tells them that what is about to happen will eventually help them to believe that he is the I Am. He uses the phrase, Help you know that I am who I am. That's the phrase which is repeated and the concept which is repeated again and again through John's gospel, where Jesus applies to himself the divine identity. When uh, God revealed himself to Moses, tell them, I am sent you, he said. And Jesus takes these words and applies them to himself. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. Before Abraham was, I am. And here he's saying to the disciples, when all this is done and dusted, it'll help you understand that I am who I am. Astonishingly, he tells them that people who accept them will be accepting him and will be accepting the Father. Now, there's another whole sermon there. I'm not going to preach that one today, but it's a a fascinating concept. Just as an aside, people who accept you when you come in Jesus' name are accepting Jesus. Wow. He tells them that one of them will betray him, and they struggle to take it in. Who? So Peter asks John to ask Jesus who it is. Now, don't think of a dining table as we know it. They'll be reclining a table. Uh, custom, they would lie, often on an elbow, legs out away from the table, so they'd be around the table. And John was next to Jesus. So Peter going, And John leans back and goes, who is it? (laughs) And Jesus tells John how to identify him, the one who I give this piece of bread to after I put it in the dish. He dips the bread in the dish. He gives it to Judas. The Bible says Satan entered Judas. Jesus tells him to do what he's going to do quickly. And the disciples were told didn't really grasp why Jesus was telling them this, though I suspect John must have had an idea. Because Judas kept the money. In fact, we know from the other Gospels that he used to pinch from the disciples' money bag. His motives, much as the Hollywood, music, Hollywood musicals, <laughs> the Hollywood uh, epics would have us try to question what complicated motives Judas had, the only one identified in the Bible is greed. We did it for gain. So what do we learn? Well, you can learn all sorts of stuff. But I, I want to focus on this business of Jesus being troubled in spirit. They're all there. They've been together for three years. He knows them. They know him. They know each other. There have been some ups and some downs. They've seen incredible things. He's, he's staring ahead at, at what lies ahead of him. And Jesus is troubled in spirit. Why? Because he knows one of them would betray him. This is no easy thing. This is no blib thing. It's not Jesus sort of saying, yeah, well, you know, that was sorted out b- way back in eternity before I ever came. was Judas. Yeah, who cares? Jesus did care. Jesus knows human pain. How Jesus loved these men. Yes, Judas And essentially, I believe, within the scriptures here, Jesus is heartbroken. That he's staring at a a man he spent three years with, who had been a servant. Not perfect, but none of them were. And yes, who was earmarked to be the one who betrayed him, but, but Jesus loved him. He was beginning to grieve for Judas and he, he understood how the others were going to feel when he was gone. He was beginning to get his focus on how they would cope when he was removed from them. Now he knew he would send his spirit and he knew he'd tell them he'd send his spirit, but he also knew they wouldn't have a clue what that meant until the spirit came. And he was entering into to this, Lord, you know, this is tough. Jesus Was and is a human being. He he went back to glory after he rose from the dead as a human being. He didn't he didn't suddenly kind of transform into a non-human thing. He is as uh, Tozer called him our man in heaven, our representative. He was human. He laughed. You think Jesus laughed? You think I mean the Bible doesn't say Jesus laughed, but hey. You, you tell me how he's telling people, why do you look for a speck in your brother's eye when you've got a plank sticking out of your own? Was that, that meant to be humorous? You know, and, and Jewish humor was very, very literal. People would visualize it. So as Jesus was talking, they'd be going, he laughed. He cried at the tomb of Lazarus, and he wept for the pain that others know. Uh, others knew, Mary and Martha. He ached for people to respond to him. He longed, longed that Jerusalem would turn. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as as chickens are gathered. The pain in his heart over people. He had compassion for a hemorrhaging woman who'd spent all the money on doctors without success. He, He touched those who others saw as unclean, and I could go on and on and on and on. And here in all this amongst those he loved was one who was about to betray him. Have you ever been let down badly? I'm looking across to see how old you are, all are, and uh, the precious few people who are young enough not to have been let down badly. By someone you loved, by someone you cared for, a colleague, a family member, a close friend. Have you known the grief when you realize that that relationship cannot be restored to what it was? Even if forgiveness is there and an and, and open heart, there's something always there now. You know that? I want to tell you something Jesus knows. He understands. Jesus knew that. He really does understand human pain. pain and, and, and we must understand that when Jesus offers to come and help us, he's not offering it from a, a kind of remote distance, unfeeling and uncaring and unknowing. He understands the pain of loss. Second thing, that I, I, as Jesus is troubled in spirit, I, I want us to understand that Jesus knows our weakness as well, uh, right at Hebrews. I always think if there's only two, uh, oh, sorry, three books of the Bible you should have with you, you should have them all. But if you are limited to three, I, I'd, I'd want uh, John's Gospel, I'd want the book of Hebrews and the book of Ephesians, personally. Y- you can make your own choice. But in Hebrews, uh, which is an astonishing, astonishing book, in chapter 4, verse 1, 14, it says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. In the pain of Judas' betrayal, another thing that Jesus knew around this time, we know this mainly from other Gospels, is the battle to do his father's will. Now I know you say, well, of course he was going to do his father's will. He's the son of God. That's what he came for. Yeah, but we underestimate the pain of Gethsemane if we treat it like that. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And, and the Bible actually tells us that when Jesus was praying this, he sweat; uh, the sweat came as great drops of blood on him. And that's a, a, a well-known sort of factor of people who are in extreme fear. It used to happen in the First World War trenches to soldiers. The extreme fear would, ca- I don't know the science of it, would cause sweat to form as blood drops. Jesus was tempted. He didn't sin, but he was tempted. The Bible talks about the temptations that Satan came right at the beginning of his ministry to to lure him with, and Jesus overcame them. But all it says is that Satan uh, withdrew till a more opportune time. Right through his life, Jesus was tempted, and he won that battle. Jesus knew genuine temptations. Thankfully, he resisted them, but he is able to recognize weakness and understand. You see, maybe... Just maybe, when I asked you if you'd ever been let down badly by someone, maybe some of you here had crossed your mind, yes, and sometimes I've been the one who let down someone badly. Hmm? Jesus understood and grieved when the rich young man turned away because of his devotion to wealth. He was to have compassion and forgiveness for Peter when Peter denied him three times. And I'll come to the business of how come Peter's different to Judas in a moment. I don't want to steal the thunder whenever that's dealt with, but it needs to be dealt with a bit here. He knows when we stumble and fall. He knows when we fail to live live up even to our own standards, let alone the ones that God has for us. And even on the cross, Jesus cried out to his father, to forgive his executioners because of their ignorance. Because he knows our weaknesses, he comes alongside to give us strength. And he really does know. Oh, God doesn't know how I feel. God doesn't know what I'm going through. God doesn't know the struggle I'm having. Absolutely, he does. You see, when Judas betrayed Jesus, he went out and betrayed a man to his death. And we read elsewhere that after that he felt great remorse even throwing the coins back at the Jewish leaders and he went and hanged himself. But remorse is not repentance. Remorse is rooted in regret and it's actually a very self-centered emotion. Poor me, look what I've done. Woe is me, I'm a failure. Peter denied Jesus three times. And he wept the tears of repentance when Jesus looked at him. Because he'd failed the one he loved. And there's a world of difference. And Peter didn't then go off into the poor me syndrome. He came back to the very people who he'd failed alongside Jesus. To the disciples. And he spent his time with them until that fabulous passage of scripture at the end of John's gospel when Jesus restores Peter on that beach. It's just mind-blowing. There's a huge difference here. You see, the, the heart of God is always to forgiveness. The, the heart of God is always to restore. We have that choice when we face failure, when we let God down and if there's anybody in this room who hasn't, I'll be astonished. Let me know the secret. When we've hurt other people. Some years ago, I was at a a Christian conference, and uh, a bunch of guys I knew quite well. We used to meet once a year and pray together and pray for each other, minister to each other, and it was was good. Uh, uh, For some reason, one of them simply said one day, I can't get this out of my mind, you know, the story of the film of Lawrence of Arabia. I I was dredging my mind. Had I ever seen it? I think so, you know. (laughs) It's, It's long. That's what I do remember about it. But he he talked about that bit where Lawrence Arabia and his his guide are are coming to a well and suddenly a shot rings out and the guide falls dead and Lawrence Arabia is still there, which begs the question, why one and not the other? And you know, I don't know whether it was God's purpose in this guy sharing it it just for me or not, but it dawned on me that day and it's never left me. I was the one who should have been shot. I was the one who God should have discarded. I was the one who God should not have time for. We actually sang the words, didn't we, in the hymn? Hands that should discard me, bear wounds, which tell me, come. Jesus really knows our weaknesses. He understands temptation. And although He doesn't excuse us when we fall, He's eager to pick us up when we repent. He's eager to bring us back and restore us to where we need to be, because that's his heart. He knew what was in the heart of Judas and his weakness for money, and he grieved that Judas would not and could not turn from his course. He understood what made Peter fail, and he understood what made Thomas doubt. He understood it all. And he was soon to give his life to save crazy mixed up people like you and me, if only we turned to him and not away from him. We often read uh, Isaiah 53 in the context of the cross, and that's quite right, Uh, written a long time before Jesus died, but the words are relevant, and yet here we have these astonishing words. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Are you in a battle at the moment? Are you in a kind of battle with temptation, a battle with some choices of life that are, are big ones, and th- different choices come to us at different stages. You know, when when you're sort of young, you think that older people haven't a clue what the difficulties are of being young are, and then you sort of want to remind them that actually, funny enough, we were young once, you know, and and then it, you get to a certain age, it, it, you know, maybe you've got young children are a bit older than that, and you're thinking, well, people don't understand how, how tough this can be, because it really is it's a struggle. And Then you get to old age, and people think, well, old people, you know, once they're old, they don't have any battles anyway. Life's just a breeze. I've got news for you. It doesn't work like that. You're in a battle. Jesus knows. Not just intellectually knows, but he knows. And he bids us turn to him and not away from him. The final thing we're to share this morning, Uh, Jesus knows our pain, he knows our weaknesses, and he carries our burdens. Do you remember Jesus' words in Matthew 11? Uh, From verse 28 it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a promise that Jesus made to all who would come to him. And then, just to reinforce the point, there's 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, where Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And if you haven't got the point yet, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If nothing else about the Judas and then later Peter story registers, Peter came back, Okay. Peter came back. This Jesus, who understands hurt and grief and knows our weaknesses, he he beckons us to come to him and swap our yoke for his, to swap all that stuff that would crush us and weigh us down and take what he has instead, which is his purpose for our lives. And that purpose may not be easy in human terms, but compared to the garbage we carry, it's a piece of cake. Yes, it has challenges, but it has a destiny, it has a function, it has a reality which which far transcends the stuff we choose to carry, which has no place. Jesus died to save us. He died to save these disciples. He hung on the cross and bled and died and took every sin I have ever committed and you've ever committed, the sins of the world on himself. The Bible says he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. He took the punishment of human sin in himself even so his father turned his face from him. So for the first time ever Jesus knew what it was like to be separated from his father. Jesus did all that He really did, and he did it so that you and I could put our trust in him and be totally forgiven and totally accepted and walk through this life in the freedom which is in Christ, knowing that he will walk every step with us. You see, he doesn't just die for us. He sends us his spirit to give us victory over the things which would crush us. And he knows the battles are real because he's been through it. He knows the disappointments are huge because he experienced them. He knows that temptations are tough because he experienced them. Jesus died for you. He really did. And when you put your trust in him, he's got a grip on you. And he's not going to let you go. You might struggle and you might kick and you might complain. But he's not going to let you go. So come to him, not away. I know from bitter experience, when you're beginning to meander off from the path of discipleship, the first thing that goes is turning to Jesus. You can just had still face coming to church, because there's lots of stuff goes on in church you can hide behind. But the thing that goes is turning to him, Lord, I need you. Lord. Let me read the Bible. Oh, I better not, in case I get to a bit I don't want to read. Am I the only one who's ever done that? This morning, Jesus understands us, and he says, come to me. Judas went out. That incredible sentence, and it was night. And Jesus says, come to me and walk in light. And the difference is astonishing. I'm going to pray in a minute, but just to remind you where we've been, Jesus knows our pain, he knows our weaknesses, and he carries our burdens. As they used to say in Essex when I ministered there, good in it. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, we um, recognize you as the Lord of glory, enthroned in heaven where you belong. We recognize you as King of kings and all those things, but we recognize you too as our Savior and our friend, our Redeemer, our burden-bearer, our great high priest who is able to sympathize and understand. Would you give us the wisdom and the courage always to turn to you wherever we are in life whether we feel like failures or whether we're burdened whatever give us the courage to turn to you so that the full reality of all you've provided might be ours day by day we ask it in your name amen